This is the Modern Stoicism Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. Joining us on the podcast today is Brittany Pollott. Brittany is an author, blogger, and parent, and her recent book, entitled Tranquility Parenting, A Guide to Staying Calm, Mindful, and Engaged, is one I'd highly recommend. Today on the podcast, we'll be discussing Brittany's recent article on the Stoicism Today blog, Human Nature and Stoic Development. So, Brittany, I'd like to say thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Many people from Modern Stoicism may know you because of your book that uh, came out in the last few years, Tranquility Parenting. Um, but uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you became, how you sort of started in the world of Stoicism? Sure. Well, after I had my third child, I was going through a, a bit of a difficult time. Um, I had left my career. I was at home with three kids, moved to a new town. I was a bit depressed and was just looking around for something that could get me through that difficult time. And I literally went online and typed in books about wisdom and William Irvin's book came up. So like many people, I was introduced to Stoicism through his work and the work of the other modern Stoicism members. And I'm very grateful to everything that they have made available to us. Um, and from there, it just grew. You know, I felt like, oh gosh, where has this been my whole life? I've been waiting for this and just kept reading as much as I could, putting it into practice, which of course is the most important thing, not just reading about it, but having a chance to actually implement it in your own life and just kept going from there. And the more I got into it and I continue, the more I continue to get into it, the more I find that it really speaks to everything we need in, in our modern lives. You mentioned William Irvin's book. Do you have a do you have a favored text right now that you that you would say is your is your go to for your practice of this philosophy? Epictetus is always my go to. His discourses. Every time I read them, I just come away thinking, "Wow, this this is it. This is what life is all about." Um, I've never had that feeling from reading anyone else. As far as modern authors. Um, Pierre Adot is incredible. He was responsible for really bringing a lot of attention to philosophy as a way of life in the 20th century. And I think it's due to his work and, of course, the work of some other amazing scholars that were able to, to know as much about Stoicism as we do today and really apply it to our lives. So I would definitely recommend for anyone who's sort of getting into Stoicism more deeply, um, definitely check out Pierre Adot's work. Well, I have to absolutely agree with you there. I um, I read Hado's book two years ago um, on the advice of Donald Robertson, actually, mm -hmm. um, and and was just blown away by his ability to take it and turn it into this useful tool, as opposed to simply um, these you know kind of random concepts that may or may not um, be applicable today. So. Uh, so if anybody listening would like to look that up, that's Pierre Hedo's book, um, The Inner Citadel. Is That's what I'm referring to. Uh, Brittany, I'm assuming you're referring to the same book or maybe a, another one of his books on that topic? Yes. Yes. That's um, that's a great place to start. He has a number of books that have been translated into English. What yeah. is Ancient Philosophy is, is another good one. So um, yeah, any of those would be great. Well, certainly uh, I, 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 I second that recommendation. Absolutely. <laughs> so... Today, um, 
we were going to go over your most recent article for modernstoicism.com. And um, I really enjoyed reading this article. Uh, it's entitled Human Nature and Stoic Development. Um, and it centers mostly around oikiosis or um, human nature and development um, is sort of how how I interpret that. Is that is that my interpreting that correctly? Yes. So oikiosis is an ancient Greek word, and it's what the Stoics used to refer to kind of the, the process of development throughout the lifespan, starting with the instincts that all humans are born with. And I think it is an incredibly brilliant idea, which is why I wanted to kind of spread the word more widely about it and, and make sure it's kind of at the heart of Stoicism today, because I really feel like if you are a practicing Stoic, you need to know about oikiosis. It's not something that's just for, you know, for specialists to know about. It's really the heart of what we're doing. It's the process that enables you to become a virtuous, excellent person. So I think it's really important for us to talk about it. Now, the concept of this development just like I mean, it it really is. It really is what the definition definition of it is. It's development over your life. Um, it seems to come in phases, and you outline those phases a little bit. So, um, if I can paraphrase from your article, at the beginning of our lives, we instinctively act in ways that promote our own well being, and then as we progress through life, um, we eventually end up in a situation where our role as a mature being starts to become the priority for ourselves. Is that, is that, is that a, a correct understanding? Right. And of course I'm, I'm basing my, my analysis on scholars, especially Julia Annis and some others. And I've kind of added my own interpretation for how we can use this as modern Stoics, but basically it starts with the idea that all creatures are, I'm, when you're born, you promote your own self-preservation, right? Babies are born with an instinct to eat food, to seek security and comfort and a caregiver. And that continues throughout your life. Every organism kind of promotes its own well-being. But as humans, we have this these special gifts where we are curious, we want to understand things. Um, we have these really advanced cognitive capacities, and we're also obviously very social creatures. We always live in groups. We wouldn't even survive without extreme social care from, from adults as children. So we use these capacities. And as we grow up, we start to realize, well, just preserving myself, you know, selfishly taking all the resources just for me is not really what it's all about. So we start to understand that our nature as humans is not merely to stay alive or merely to become as popular as we can or to accumulate wealth. Although sadly, you know, a lot of people are confused about this and they continue to believe that their whole lives because they haven't completed this development that the Stoics see. Um, but for, for us, for those of us who really want to complete that development toward wisdom, we start to see that it's not all about self-preservation, but about reaching our capacity and our potential for full humanity, which involves other people as well. So you mentioned, you kind of touch on one major thing with this development though, which is that we, we as humans, we struggle so much with this idea that we are um, supposed to just accumulate wealth and worry about ourselves. But I mean, you make a statement within the article that I, I mean, of course I agree with it, which is that we as ancient Stoics we, uh, or sorry, the ancient Stoics, excuse me, spoke of this relationship that we as humans are part of a whole. 
Um, and you reference a couple of quotes, the individual uh, parts of the same body, branches of the same tree, or citizens of the same city. Um, but we really struggle with this as human beings. Why do you, why do you think that we struggle with um, the, this ability to understand that we are part of this greater whole? Absolutely. This is one of the biggest obstacles, I think. And the ancient Stoics got this criticism as well. People were saying, well, if we're meant to be growing toward wisdom, why is it that so few people get there? Um, so this is something they really had to explain. And Chrysippus explained it. He, he called it the twofold cause. Um, so the persuasiveness of things, you know, things seem um, con contrary to appearances. Things seem that we are meant to just continue accumulating wealth. Um, and so the persuasiveness of impressions is one thing that we try to overcome, right, um, as Stoics. So we learn to kind of analyze our impressions, distance ourselves from those false impressions, and understand what's really valuable in life and what isn't. So that's one reason it's really important for us to be aware of those impressions. And I, I think most modern Stoics are, are aware of the idea of distancing yourself from impressions. Um, another cause is our associates, the teaching of associates. So obviously, you know, if you grow up in a society that values material wealth, it's very likely that you're going to grow up valuing that as well. And so the teachings of one generation to the next can cause that kind of distraction from what the Stoics say really matters in life, which is virtue. So these things are still present with us. It's, you know, I don't think that human nature is ever going to change. This is always going to be something that we do face, but we are very, um, we're very fortunate to have a philosophy that can help us to overcome these. And really, once you overcome them, you are much, much happier. I mean, I can speak from personal experience, those moments when I've managed to kind of you know, erase those those material tendencies from my mind, I'm much happier. And I think many other people find the same thing. I I can absolutely say that I have found the same thing. I mean, um, yeah, there's too many anecdotes here to, to probably <laughs> talk about, right? About, I had this moment when it finally clicked in my head. It, like, I think so many people have that when they're in this kind of a practice. Right. So you mentioned about, you, you know, learning from you kind of learn generationally as you go through, you know, you learn from that, those things that are around you. And of course the, the previous generation tends to indoctrinate certain things into the coming generation simply because that's the situation in which they grow up. Right. So it seems like one of the key things to oikiosis that Stoics would say is that it's, it's never a stopped process. I mean, I find in I find in many philosophies, there's usually a point where there there's an extreme limit to the what you can do. I mean, you could call it nirvana, you could call it something else. But I mean, I would I, I start to feel like, especially reading your article, that oikiosis is something that never stops. You're consistently developing yourself as you go through life. Is that a do you think that's a correct interpretation? I do, yeah, and I really like the way Pierre Ido puts this. He says the the path toward wisdom is like an asymptote. You get increasingly closer, but you can never actually, you know, fully reach it. The Stoics <laughs> famously said that, you know, the, the wise person is as rare as the phoenix. It may or may not be possible for someone to achieve complete wisdom. And then, of course, they also have the other idea that everyone is vicious until you become completely virtuous. It's like putting the keystone in an arch. Once you become virtuous, you're completely virtuous. But up until that point, you know, you still have work to do. 
So I definitely think it's it's a journey that we're going to be taking our whole lives. But in a way, you know, for those of us who are really goal oriented, um, it gives us something to work toward. Instead of working toward material success or social status or these other things, we can work on, you know, moving toward wisdom. Yeah, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting situation we are in right now because so many times I find that I am faced with what some people call broicism or stoicism mm-hmm. with a dollar sign S um, <laughs> or stoicism with a capital M, which is a, I don't know if that's as well known, but it's, it's where the M is meant to include male, which is uh, something that bothers me so much because it's certainly not exclusion, exclusionary. We are not exclusionary in this practice, but we get in this situation where, you know, you hear about major multi-billion dollar persons that talk about, oh yeah, I read the Stoics and I'm a Stoic. And then you realize that they don't pay their workers a fair wage and they treat everyone terribly. And you kind of go, I don't know. I think you've kind of missed the boat on that one. Right. So, so um, I, I think it's, it's an interesting struggle that we have within Stoicism because of that, because of that broicism or Stoicism of the dollar sign S that seems to captivate everyone's mindset. It's almost like a gotcha thing. So, but um, I think what I want to relate back to though, is that um, instead of broicism and instead of dollar sign S Stoicism, you speak about Stoic social oikiosis. So that's, that's this idea that that it's development, not just of the virtue ethics around being a good individual person and things like that. It's about keeping in mind the social, the social aspects of our lives as humans. Is that my right interpretation? Like, how do you, how would you define stoic social oikiosis? Yeah, for sure. One thing that I've been kind of working toward over the past few years is overcoming ego, because I feel like it's pretty much impossible. If you look at many different wisdom traditions around the world, many of them emphasize kind of the same idea. You can't be happy if you're focusing on yourself. And those types of stoicism that you just mentioned, the the macho type or the dollar sign type, those are really focused on the self. And it's I don't want to say it's not real stoicism. I think it's um, a less advanced stage. I think it can be good for people to learn about it that way, but you need to keep moving. That's that's not the stopping point. Um, so overcoming your ego is one of the hardest things that we will ever have to do. And yet, if we can manage it, it leads to great psychological riches, eudaimonia, when you have the feeling that you know, you're not alone in the world. The world is not out to get you. Things are the way they are meant to be. You have this great acceptance. Um, I'm interested in eudaimonia as a psychological state. So you really, there is, there's no way around it that I can see. You've got to understand that you're not the center of the world. You're not working just for your own good. And that's what this idea of social oikiosis is, especially in, in the way I'm interpreting it. It's the idea of understanding yourself as part of the larger whole. And this is what really gives you that, that feeling of joy and belonging. And um, the, the author that I quote a lot in this article, Ivanhoe, he, he calls it metaphysical comfort. You're, you're really at home in the world. You found who you're meant to be. You are a part of something much bigger. And I think we all kind of struggle against that in, in modern times. We all kind of feel anonymous. We feel atomized. You know, we, 
and many times we've lost that kind of sense of kinship or community that I think people have traditionally been able to feel. And that's important for us to be psychologically healthy and to do to do our part in the world. You know, if you are working only for your own benefit, A, you're not going to be happy, and B, you're not going to benefit other people as well. So really changing that that outlook and our attitude towards that is crucial to being the kind of person that we want to be. Yeah, so um, not to throw another quote out there, but, uh, you know, what, what you speak about in this idea of understanding that individuality is good, but th- thinking only of the individual is is really challenging for us as Stoics. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius makes the connection with the beehive and the understanding that what's good for the hive is good for the bee, as opposed to, I think, the other way around. So it's interesting because it, it's like, I think people sometimes really struggle um, when you get into this concept of the greater good because they think that it should be walking you should be walking around hugging strangers which is not (laughs) what we're saying right but it certainly is what am I doing at this moment and how does it impact um those around me so to kind of stem from that you in your article talk about the this practice that can be employed which is the concentric circles of Hierocles um and this sort of expansive notion of the self um, can you talk a little bit about this practice? I mean, is it, and, and is it something that you have done yourself where you've kind of tried to think about it this way? Yeah. So Hierocles, um, his description of the concentric circles is one of the better known, I would say, exercises for social oikiosis. And it is helpful. It is, um, it can be a little bit abstract. So just to briefly describe it, um, he discusses kind of envisioning you're first, you are feeling this connection with the, the close associates around you, your close family members, and then you kind of expand this in your mind and feel connected to the, you know, maybe more distant family members or friends. And then you're kind of in your mind expanding it to neighbors, your community, fellow citizens, and eventually you're able to encompass kind of everybody in the world. Now, that is a very tall order, I think. We have 7 billion people in the world, and it's it's really difficult to, to kind of even wrap your mind around that. So I try to supplement this exercise with um, kind of more specific exercises that are more applic- applicable to people in my life. So one thing that I think is super important for us, especially at this really divided moment in history, is thinking, is practicing non-judgment, right? So I feel like this attitude of oneness can really help us with non-judgment, trying to understand and reach out to people who we might not normally understand, making that effort to think about where they're coming from. So just to kind of break down the the exercise a little bit, you might think about, I wouldn't start with a, a nationally known figure. I would start with someone who's close to you that you just don't get. Um, maybe they have different political opinions. Maybe they've chosen a different path in life. You've never been able to understand and try to think about where they're coming from. You know, Epictetus says that people do what makes sense to them. Somehow they have developed the idea that this is the right thing for me to do. They act in the way they see fit. So take some time to think about why that person sees fit to act in that way. 
you can go all the way back, you know, think about their childhood, how they grew up, their motivations, the experiences they've had in life, and really try try your best to picture things from their point of view, not so that you can agree with their opinions, but so that you can understand where they're coming from, why they might hold those opinions, and so that you can approach your your relationship with them or your attitude toward them with understanding rather than judgment. I think this is something we we all need to do a lot more of these days. Oh, absolutely. I'll 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 gen- genuinely agree with that. I mean, um within this practice of trying to relation to other people, and I have actually tried to do this myself, there's there's this common assumption that once you take it, it everything becomes a little bit more clear, which is that um, it relates to something that Socrates said, which was that no one does wrong willingly. Mm-hmm. No one is standing there saying, this is wrong and I'm going to do it. Even if someone does something intentionally wrong, they're doing it because they think it's the right thing to do. They're saying, I'm not going to fix this problem because if I don't, because, and they're thinking that's correct because they think if I let it fail, then someone will address it finally type of thing. So they're doing it because they think it's the right thing to do. And once you do that, I, I think it really changes the perception that you have when you're walking in with someone. I think we as individuals and we're, we're, it sounds like this conversation so much is revolving around at least this part of it, this dichotomy we have of the individual versus the group, which is that, you know, we as individuals think, well, I'm right and they're wrong, which that dichotomy is very difficult to sustain. And once you have take this, take this situation and say, I am going to try and see it from their perspective because they must think this is the right thing to do. It really changes everything. Absolutely. And I think it allows you to be a more effective um, problem solver as well. You know, let's say that you do want to to change people's minds or you genuinely do care about people and want to help them, you know, trying to understand it, where they're coming from and why they might have developed this viewpoint or this mindset, it allows you to address that. You can kind of talk a language that they're understanding instead of just talking past each other. So I think it has um, not just psychological benefits for you, but practical benefits as well that enable you to be a more effective person. So it sounds like from for like that you're that that the suggestion here is to sort of break this down into a smaller piece of a puzzle. If we, as I jokingly said before, if we try to begin this social oikios, excuse me, by stepping out of our house and hugging strangers on mass, it may that's a, that's very that's actually not a great way to start this. It's really, you know, focus on something small that's easily manageable, which is find that adversity, find that rough connection that you're having and see about addressing that. Right. And another thing I wanted to emphasize in the paper as well, it's not about, you know, just um, touchy feely feeling sitting there hugging people. It's really, um, it's a relational view of yourself. So near the end of your article, you mentioned that um, many people find this idea of social ichiosis an incredibly daunting task, but, but you say, and I'll quote you here, the, the ancient Stoics seem to believe that we are equipped for this task of becoming more harmonized with the greater world. Uh, we're equipped for it by nature. People often get distracted from their true nature by the persuasiveness of things and the teachings of their associates. Um, and unfortunately, we have a lot of distractions today. But then as you say, we can develop this expansive sense of self. Um, and where do you think how, where do you think people should be, how do I put this? 
Well, I, I guess I would say instead, what does harmon what does this harmonization and unification of one's natural needs and desires what does that look like to you like at what does like i i don't believe in the concept of nirvana because as as we've already spoken about i believe this is an ongoing lifelong process but it might there do you think that there's some general feeling that someone can get when they feel like they have harmonized their own inner psychological states and fit them into that grand order that you mentioned in your article the more I get into stoicism, the more I think that we need to be talking about identity, moral identity. So what I believe oikiosis can do for us is it kind of gives you both the what virtue is and the why and how I can get there. And by that, I mean, we are actually, we have the capacity in us to become this sort of person. This is what the ancient Stoics talked about. We all have the starting points of virtue in us. And to me, it's really, really important to think about it as a natural process. It's not that we are imposing a false nature on ourselves. It's not like for the longest time, I thought that Stoic principles were a matter of, you know, you have this really rational, logical system that we've developed, and it's a matter of kind of absorbing it like osmosis, just bringing it inside yourself. And for a long time, I thought that we were just supposed to absorb these external principles. Through my study of oikiosis, I realized that's kind of the opposite. I was thinking about it the wrong way. We already have this potential in us. I think that's what this idea of our instincts and growing towards who we are naturally supposed to be, that's what it means. We need to find that within us and kind of channel those instincts in the right direction. Instead of really fighting to impose an artificial nature on ourselves, we're looking for like what a human is supposed to be. If you look around, think about an exemplar of the best human, what kind of person, how would that, how would that person act? And then think about making your identity into that kind of person instead of having an identity as um, x type of professional or you know a person who likes this type of music or who's really good at that sport i think a lot of us in this day and age tend to form our identities along those lines along external accomplishments or external goods of some sort and I think what we need to do is change our identity to a moral identity. Doesn't matter how much money you make, what kind of job you do, what matters is the kind of person that you are. So to me, when you complete this process of oikiosis, you have changed your your sense of yourself. And again, we're talking about this expansive sense of yourself. You've changed the way that you view yourself in relation to the world. You're no longer primarily a professional or, you know, some other external category. You are a moral person. So to me, that is the process that we need to be looking at here. And I agree, it's not, you know, it's not some sort of nirvana that we're trying to get to externally. It's all internal. It's, it's a state of mind. So um, I hope that answered your question. Oh, I absolutely think it does. I, I, I would also say that I, just as much as I feel like this is an ongoing process, it's usually an ongoing answer. Um, there's always so many factors regarding this sort of thing because we as humans are complex and we have so many facets to our individuality that um, must operate 
in harmony and some kind, sometimes in discord. Um, so I, you know, I don't believe there's a single right answer. Now you, I wanted to touch on this because I'm, I'm always curious about this when I speak to people who, um, know the practices that we, in, we, uh, use, um, you met what you mentioned, uh, partially there about finding that person that I, you know, that person who uh, fulfills some sort of an ideal for you. It's you know, that that's really the contemplation of the sage as what Donald Robertson would call it. Um, and I've employed this technique very much. Um, and I can, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll throw it out there that I'm a nerd. So I'll <laughs> say my, my sages that I contemplate. Um, I, I prefer fictional sages only because I think I'm a nerd. That's, that's really all it is. <laughs> um, but my fictional sages that I will contemplate for include Heracles, which, uh, um, you know, the choice of Heracles is a wonderful tale that I think absolutely speaks to the human condition, but also, um, uh, uh, Jean-Luc Picard, Captain Picard from Star Trek, the next generation is a major one for me as well. Um, and I absolutely have done this practice of asking myself, what would he do? Um, what would, what are the traits of his, which I hope to embody one day? So do you have a, do you have a, a sage that you tend to refer back to when you try to ask yourself the question of, am I being virtuous morally or ethically in this moment? I think um, it can be a bit more challenging as a woman because I tend to gravitate towards, towards wise women. And of course they've often been left out of history. Um, I find myself thinking a lot about, well, my role models are Christine de Pizan for one the way that she um, she she lived in the the Middle Ages for those who don't know, and her husband died, and she was left to take care of her family with only her pen, and she became quite well known um, a, a writer and was able to support her family, and I really admire the people who have been able to do what they were called upon to do in life, even if they didn't expect it. Um, another one of my role models is Karen Armstrong, the famous religious scholar, comparative religious scholar. She had a difficult life, was diagnosed with epilepsy in the middle of her life, had a series of professional failures, um, left her religious upbringing, and she managed to turn it all around and became one of the foremost scholars of religion in the world. I really admire people who do, you know, they take what life throws at them and make the best of it. So when I think about what kind of person I want to be, I, I tend to think about people who have made the best of, of what they have in life. I mean, that is, that is one of the best answers I've ever heard when I've asked that question, to be frank. I, uh, <laughs> it's so individual to you. And I, I want to make sure that I say thank you for sharing that with me. That's uh... One last thing I would love to ask you is, What's, is there like a daily practice that you have, which is, um, the one way in which you maintain your, your practice in the day? Are you a daily journaler? Do you have a daily meditative practice of some kind? Is there, what, what do you do, um, when you are wrestling with these, with your own oikiosis? I keep reading. I, I'm the kind of person who I'm naturally really introspective. And if I start thinking too much about myself and my own problems, I just kind of go down this internal rabbit hole and, and keep thinking about myself. So I've learned to keep my mind focused on 
the, the kind of person I want to be, keep learning, keep trying to expand my mind outside of myself. And I find that that always makes me feel better, helps me to keep things in perspective. I'd like to thank Brittany Polat for being with us on the podcast today. If you'd like to find out more about Brittany's work, head over to her new website starting in the fall, livinginagreement.com. You can find her on Twitter, at Brittany Polet, or you can go to her website, apparentstoic.com. Thanks for listening to the Modern Stoicism podcast this week. If you'd like to learn more, head over to modernstoicism.com, where you can find articles, courses, our Patreon, and other resources. This week on the Stoicism Today blog, Harold Cavley has written an article entitled, Death and Stoicism. You've been listening to the Modern Stoicism Podcast, the official podcast of modernstoicism.com. Check out all of our episodes at modernstoicismpodcast.buzzsprout.com. And if you like this content, consider rating us or giving us a thumbs up on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find us on Patreon, where patrons get access to exclusive digital content. All music provided by bensound.com.